G'day and welcome to Krakencast. This is the Oceanic branch of the Vassals of Kingsgrave Game of Thrones review series. Today we'll be discussing episode 6 of season 7, entitled Beyond the Wall. My name is Duncan, or Valkyrus on the forums, and today I am joined by... Sarah, Lady Weaver on the forums. Hi, this is Bing, Shushan on the forums. David, David HHH on the forums. Neil, Larry and Neil on the forums. Great, uh, thanks for joining me guys. Sadly no Dana this week, but you can catch her on the Dragoncast. So, yeah, pretty interesting episode. Lots of uh, lots of opinions flying around <laughs> the social media and forums and Twitter and all that. Lots of heated discussions. So let's uh, hear from you guys. What were your lemon cakes for this episode? Um, okay. Uh, I don't know. I know, it's hard. It's hard. It is, because I kind of liked the stuff at Winterfell, but I'm also like, that's kind of stupid. And then the stuff at the White Walkers is really stupid, but it's kind of enjoyable. <laughs> So it's like mm-hmm. enjoyably bad. True, yeah. So can I go like a two and a half? But it's like the B movie, like a good B movie, right. enjoyable B movie. Jerry Seinfeld's B movie. <laughs> I'm not that old. Never mind. <laughs> uh, Bing, what did you think? All right, so I watch bad movies. I, I seek <laughs> out, actively seek out like really, really stupid stuff to watch from time to time, and I enjoy doing that. This episode was on that level of there was there's a movie called uh, Day After Tomorrow. I, I forgot <laughs> yep. when it was released. Yeah, but that, quite a while. Ago. Quite a while ago. Yeah. There was this that, there's this scene movie. in which our gang was running away from the the zombies across the somehow brittle frozen lake, and they make it past and eventually the the, the lake collapses and and that reminds me of the scene of a day <laughs> after tomorrow. And I just keep thinking, the writing of this episode is equivalent to A Day After Tomorrow. So I'm going to rate this episode A Day After Tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> That's not part of the scale. How do you Sorry. translate into lemon cakes? <laughs> Go and watch the movie and then you can decide for yourself. Yep. That's how you translate it. <laughs> right, right. Uh, D- David, what did you think? I'm gonna, I'm gonna probably be on the high end here. I'm gonna give it 3.75. It's a tough one because if you shut your brain off, it's a great episode. There's tons of great character stuff. I loved most of the things going on in the story, but this is the one where you know, in the last few Kraken casts, I've been the one going, you know, I- I'm okay with the narrative stuff not making sense i'm okay with the character stuff not working i'm okay with the teleporting and in this episode it really kind of bothered me for the first time you know so far and partially as i was watching it and partially as i was thinking about it afterwards it just started to bother me more and more like i probably if you'd asked me like right as the episode ended i probably would have given it like four four and a half but like i'm i'm it's dropping because of that that said it was exciting all the like dragon stuff was awesome i enjoyed it i loved all the character stuff but you do have to turn your brain off and we'll get to that i'm sure (laughs) and uh neil what did you think um i i'm putting it on the high scale i'm giving it four lemon cakes i i really enjoyed it the the time lines and you know some of the dots they're connecting and you know some of the scenes are just you know kind of uh, mashing together, it, it, it's it's not bothering me as much. I mean, it, it's definitely a, a departure from what we've seen before, but um, I had a lot of fun with it. I mean, yeah, it's some of it's a little silly, but as we get closer to the end here, I, I think 
these episodes are going to be little high fantasy movies, so to speak. And in a movie, I think we'd forgive some of this stuff instead of what we've seen from an episode of something we've seen in season three of Game of Thrones. So, um, some of the yeah, yeah, so some of it's very different, but I'm uh, I'm good with it. Um, I had a lot of fun watching it. Um, I watched it with my wife, who doesn't look at things like we do on the podcast and on the forums and in fandom and she just was blown away she just just mm-hmm. she was showing parts of it to my kids this morning so <laughs> um yeah which we can, i think it we went over big with fans on why or why i shouldn't do that but <clears throat> no I, I i really much enjoyed it wasn't perfect by any means but i guess based on the <clears throat> the cgi and you know, the epicness of it. Uh, I still had a lot of fun, so I'm sticking with four. Yep. Okay, that's good. Nice range of opinions. Should be a good discussion. Um, I'm going to be a bit on the lower lower end of the scale. I'm going to give it two out of five lemon cakes. Um, so we mentioned last week that even though the premise for this episode seemed really silly, it may lead to a really awesome set piece. Unfortunately, I thought the, the set piece ended up being pretty mediocre. Um <laughs> The CGI yeah. was fantastic, I, I agree, but I felt like the actual staging of the battle lacked tension. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard for me to not compare it to Hard Home, which is my favorite yep. episode of the entire series, mm-hmm. but where that, that episode was genuinely frightening and, and intense, this episode felt often cheesy and clumsy. Yep. Um, and I think just in terms of the whole in terms of the whole series or the whole story that that's being told the whites and the white walkers have always been presented as the big bad of the series. You know, they're portrayed Mm -hmm. as this otherworldly evil as like nightmares made flesh. However, in this episode, they kind of seem incompetent and, and they're being mowed down by the hundreds by seven guys and there's no repercussions and their entire army is rendered impotent by a few feet of water. Um, um, so that was disappointing. H- having said all that, I did. There was a few things that I, I did quite like about the series. I thought I actually thought the John Danny exchange at the end was kind of sweet. Um, I'm excited about the prospect of an ice dragon. I think the Arya Sansa stuff, as horrible as, as it is, there is some <laughs> interesting things to talk about there. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall, I was I was disappointed, unfortunately. Wait, Duncan, so you aren't into the Avengers, like? <laughs> Seven people, maybe no seven into, in the first Avengers movie, but yeah. I'm into the <laughs> Avengers in the Marvel comic book series. I'm not into it in Game of Thrones and A Song of Ice and Fire. They're two tonally different universes <laughs> and, and, and stories. You know, I was, if, if, I if was the Avengers, it. if suddenly halfway through the Avengers, there started to be like mass beheadings and and rapes and things, I I, I dislike that as well because it's a jarring <laughs> shift. <laughs> You know, I was okay with the whole Avengers aspect of it. I think going into it, you know, even last week when we were talking about it, I was like, you know, I knew this was coming. I'm okay with it. I kind of liked the idea. I kind of, I mean, yeah, the plan's dumb. And and I was saying last week, I really hope Danny isn't going to come in and just save the day because that'll just highlight how dumb the whole plan was. And it happened. And, but I, I think the, the interesting thing is I kind of agree with you on, I was hoping if it was a good action story and it was exciting and it kept me enthralled, then that would have been fine. And, and until Danny came in at the end, it wasn't to me. And you're right. It didn't feel like it had that same resonance that Hard Home did. And I'm wondering how much of that is just because we've been a little spoiled because we've now seen, you know, 
We've now seen this now a few. We've now had how many different scenes with undead chasing our heroes through this show? And then, you know, if you're a Walking Dead fan, we've had two different, you know, series with like, you know, a combined, you know, 10 seasons of scenes where, you know, thousands of undead come against like five or 10 of our heroes and somehow they all miraculously survive, you know? So I, I guess I'm just getting a little, a little jaded problem. by it, maybe. I mean, if we were just want to go straight into sort of the technicalities of the, the way they frame this scene and stuff like that. The main problem is they keep trying resorting to, which is why I bring up the after tomorrow, because there's a lot of really cheap action movie tricks that they're, they're deploying. Like the perfect example is, is Torment's almost death, right? In which yeah. he's getting dragged into by a bunch of zombies. Oh, and Oh, is he going to die? Is he going to die? Rescued yeah. at the last minute. And then yeah. they repeat that over and over again. They repeated it with, with with John. They repeated it with with John twice, I guess, with Jora. And at certain at certain degree, okay, it's 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 fun. It's action movie. It's whatever. And yeah, and I I can enjoy it on that level. But that is not what Game of Thrones has been yeah. up to this point. Yeah. I guess my problem is that's not the story that Game of Thrones presented itself as being. From the beginning, it always presented its characters as being in real danger. Exactly. That they made those statements really powerful by by executing Ned, by having the Red Wedding, by killing the yep. Red Viper. These people, the, the stakes are real. These people are in mortal danger. You can love someone and still lose them. They, they don't have plot armor. And I feel like this episode and probably this season this in general, season, exactly. and all that has really betrayed has really betrayed that idea because they all survive. You know, it's it's the most dangerous situation any character could possibly be in. Yeah. And they all survive. And then there's mm-hmm. their their um deliverance come, comes from above. And it's not yeah. just about like killing like you have to kill torment in this scene or you have to kill one or two of these people. It's that you're you're deliberately trying to use the sense of oh anybody can die as of as a very cheap technique of creating drama when there really isn't one to begin with i don't know i feel like you know and the stakes were just so high here and the and the plan was so dumb and their odds were so slim that the fact that only one of them ends up dying in this and then i mean you can also count you can also count Viserion, but I mean, only one of them dies just seemed un- just so unrealistic. Like if two or three of them had died, like I would have bought it a lot more and it would have made them fighting through these un- ridiculous odds seem a little more realistic. You know, I mean, we, we've got this show where anyone can die and yet this whole season no one does. And that just it, it seems like they're kind of getting scared or saving it for the end. It's not clear where they're going. But guys, they're killing off all the red shirts. What are you guys talking exactly. about? Yeah. Four, I well, counted. I counted let's four. But <laughs> let's uh, let's get into the episode itself yep. because we're uh, we're drifting there anyway. Mm-hmm. So um, we'll go scene by scene as we usually do. We'll break up the, the beyond the wall section into a few parts, obviously, because it, it occupies so much of the episode. Um, all right. So starting with beyond the wall, the magnificent seven trudge into the frozen abyss north of the wall. John and Jorah compete over who is least deserving of a Valerian steel sword. Uh, Tormund pines over his lady love Brienne, while Sandor loudly protests that he's not gay. Gendry whines about being sold to a fire witch who molested him with leeches. The gang enter a thick fog and are attacked by Tormund's furry undead ex-lover. The bear wounds Thoros, but the team manages to bring it down. <laughs> Sorry, that was funny. 
<laughs> yeah, my, my intros are a bit snarky this, this episode. Sorry <laughs> that. That, that was awesome. <laughs> Magnificent. Was it a seven, Ten points for Duncan. And then Nivea that's what I thought as well. I'm like, wait, Tormund, get in there. That's your lady love. But, what are you doing? I was just imagining them stopping and like peering through the mist and him, they're locking eyes. And <laughs> you, I remember you. Uh, that's funny. They should have done Come it. Come back to me. <laughs> But yeah, so just just the first ten minutes, um, there's a there's a few interactions between the characters, and a lot of these characters haven't met before. So any any thoughts on that? Did you like it? Did you find it stilted? I loved all of it. I loved all of it. I mean, I remember as I was watching it, I, I was having a few drinks and I was reading it, and I and I and I stopped a couple of times to post on Facebook just to say, okay, I'm not going to give any spoilers out because I watched it early, but. I love Tormund. Tormund is the best character ever created on television or something like that. And I remember just just Tormund just just was awesome in this. <laughs> Every scene with him I Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I've loved Tor- Tormund since uh, season... Was it season two? He was interested season three, I think. Oh, always, yeah, but, but particularly... Yeah. He's always the best character in a scene. He's yeah, always amazing. I know I watched it and I was just thinking, Tormund, why are you networking so much? Oh my god. But I love it. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> but were they, were they implying he's bi here? Because he seems to be... There's a few different comments here that are kind of weird, but <laughs> I don't know. I think I don't know if you just they have snark- beer wives though going with them, so it might not be as weird for him because it's more like just pick a spear wife slash hope or, they're into it or whatever. <laughs> but they don't have any ladies with them, so maybe that's why now- he's in with the bears. But not anymore now. Now he's only only saving himself for Brienne. <laughs> Who, Who couldn't give a rat's about him. <laughs> <laughs> I still like it. It's sweet. It's sweet. <laughs> eh, I know. I don't know if I mean, sweet is the word I would use for that. <laughs> also, this whole thing... I mean, yeah. This whole ship, whatever, is started because completely improv. Yep. Like, the writers did not <laughs> intend for any of this to happen. Now, this is... This is 100% fan service, but it's so perfect. I'm it's a, sorry. <laughs> it's a little bit. It's a little bit creepy though because so yeah. far he's, we've only seen him just sort of looking at her from a distance mm-hmm. and and making strange comments to people. Like we haven't actually seen a, a scene where they've spoken to each other. It's, <laughs> it's odd that he has this like imagined future between the two. Yeah. Like you wouldn't think that would be the shy one. You wouldn't think that he'd be afraid to say anything or do anything because that's never been i mean with all of his bragging and whatever although maybe isn't that just like a guy to be bragging and whatever yeah i I did the bear and all this but but in real life he's terrified to actually go up and say anything to her he's waiting for his chance to kidnap her (laughs) right right yeah the wildling culture they have to i don't think he i don't think he reckons he can i think he's intimidated by her no but i think that might be why he's so into her because it's like you challenge me so much this is amazing mm-hmm. like oh, oh yeah we're gonna have great children who are gonna kill everyone and everything and oh my god oh, so one, one comment in here that i that that i think resonates later or maybe not is when Tormund is talking to john and he says how many people died for mance's pride and i wonder how much of that is what led to what later happens with john and danny when he decides to bend the knee like is this was this the beginning of that? I don't know. Yeah, I'd say That's, so. I mean, yeah, I think so too. I mean, it's possible, but I never thought it was pride. I thought it was more that he didn't want the North to be subjugated to the South again, and he didn't trust Danny. And 
Like I don't really. But I think it's not necessarily the pride bit that resonates, but it's more how many men are going to die right. if he doesn't bend right. the knee. And I think that's why he's going, no, we need her. We need her dragons. I need to bend the knee. And she came and she rescued us. So she does care. And she right. loves me and I love her. And oh my God, this uh. massive gesture. <laughs> so more even if that, it makes him way. unpopular, it's, it might be the wisest decision. I think yeah. it's pragmatic on both ends. Uh, you know, at the beginning of the season, it, it does make sense for him not to just, you know, go down the Dragonstone and bend the knee. He would lose respect and and therefore, you know, he might lose some of his support in the North. But, um, <laughs> you know... He bends the knee at the end of this episode after seeing all this crazy shit, and all of a sudden it's like, yeah, well, they're gonna have to figure it out because we're gonna have to, you know, band together a little bit more quickly in order to survive here. So, John and Beric have this kind of metaphysical discussion about mm-hmm. what their destinies are. I mean, they are the two characters that have been brought back from the dead, so I guess they're kind of bonding over that. But they're questioning what the Red God has in store for them. Mm-hmm. And, and the world is so chaotic at, at this point. What what kind of path do you choose? What kind of thing do you cling to? And it's yeah, it didn't I mean they didn't really come to a re- resolution, but I thought that was well, it kind of did because remember they remember they said I am the shield that guards the realms of men, and they both kind of agreed right. that's enough. That that's all they really need yeah. to know. And I kind of like that. It's a very sort of Melisandre mentality, like all these dynastic struggles and great houses don't actually mean anything. There's just kind of this veil or this vanity that conceals the real power mechanics at work, which is life and death kind of thing. And he throws in a little R plus L equals J. You don't look yeah. much like yep. yeah, your father. I was just about to say that. Yep, I was just about to say that. How would Beric know? He can't remember what he had for lunch two days ago. Yeah. <laughs> but. Yeah, there were so many good little character moments like that in here. You know, there were just I just loved so many of them. You know, Gendry being mad at Beric and, and Thoros for selling him off, at least on the show. <laughs> you know? And um, and then all that bit between John and Jorah over Longclaw. Some people didn't like it, but I, I thought it was great and it and it worked. And I liked Jorah's regret there over having, you know, really embarrassed his family and all that. I, I liked all that stuff. That's that's yeah. the stuff for me that was the most yeah. interesting episode. I so I mean some of the sort of back and forths were sort of interesting. Some of them I felt a bit like just not up to the standard of, of sort of dialogue scenes that we've got in the past. Like the, the John and Jorah one, I didn't really feel like there was much of a bond, even though they obviously share a, a very important father figure. It just feels kind of awkward these characters that that have no relation to each other yeah. just kind of thrust together. It's a bit strained. Yeah, I, I think the bit the bit with the sword felt a little dutiful. Like, okay, we have to address this. He's walking around with his dad's sword that he had that he had to give back. But uh, at the end just, of the conversation, when he says, get children after you, I thought that was kind of uh, interesting. Seeing Why as he knows he's a member of the Night's Watch, so he shouldn't have any children. <laughs> like, oh, not yeah. any longer, right? Well, he's not anymore, yeah. right? Not anymore, but still, I... When he said, and your children after you, that's all I could think. I was like, John, no, you're not allowed to have children. I guess it's like the idea that, you know, have someone to pass this sword on to keep that kind of tradition alive in honor of uh, my father kind of thing. So that's nice. Hook up with somebody that's not going to have children. Yeah. Yeah. Like if he hooks up with Danny, there will be no children, right? (laughs) Theoretically. 
So there's no, no point giving it to John. Well, I don't even know if... I'm not convinced that John can have children. He's like... I know. He's died. He's dead, yeah. Can he ha- still reproduce? It's going to be zombie babies. Right, right. Uh, I, I did... Um, Even though the later battle left me a bit cold, I did actually like the, the bear fight. Yes, I was, agree. It was set up quite well with, with the mists and all that. Like That was quite freaky. And then just seeing these blue eyes sort of rumbling towards you and the bear on fire like that was yep. awesome although that does bring up a few one point i wanted to make here which is that okay so we know in the past just of the show never mind the books that fire kills them right so how is the bear on fire and not like being ripped apart exactly. um and, and some people have said we, we've talked about this before but you know is did they have dragon glass some people have like you know some of the internet people have closed up and said that some of their weapons were in fact dragon glass and that theoretically the dagger that um that Jorah stabs it with is made of dragon glass but if that no, were no, the no dragon dragon glass doesn't kill whites it only kills white walkers because yeah. um right, but in, that, uh, book three right in book three sam stabs uh i think it's small paul who's undead and it does nothing wow. So I don't the fire think, uh, does, but the fire does. So why? Yeah, the bear well, the fire should. So why is a bear on fire? I mean, I guess, <laughs> I guess a bear is like way bigger than a human, so maybe it, it takes a while for it to fully fully die. I mean, it didn't. Yeah. So but then and you also have two people with flaming swords attacking them all through later in the episode, and at no point does the fire really do anything, which was kind of the whole point of that scene in the first season. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but I kept laughing whenever um, Beric would light his sword. It was just like he was lighting like a Zippo lighter or something. Just, like, <laughs> hey, it look just at this! So table. matter of fact, the way he did it. Yeah. Like you're just flicking like, a switch. It's very Star Wars fan film. Yeah. Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. Lightsaber keep light bringer in, saber. In my notes, I wrote it as he has magic gloves because that's the only reason I can think of of why it lights up like that. That isn't magic. <laughs> Did you notice that the mountain in the background that they were looking at, that one that, you know, that um, the hound saw in his dreams, is the same one that the Night King was made in way back in history in Bran's dream? Now, I don't know if that's just, hey, we're ah. going to use a mountain in our filming, or if that's meant to be a connection, but it is the same one, or at least it looks like it. Nice. Okay, that's interesting. Pick up. No. Like the Heart of Winter. I, I'm not sure what it's called, but just remember when when they go back in Bran's dream, when when Bran's vision, when he sees the the first, the, when he sees the Night King being made, that right. mountain is behind them where they're doing that. This can't be the lands of always winter though. That would take the months to trek towards. This has to be pretty close to the wall because they they seem to be only walking for like a day. Yeah. Well, we don't know exactly where that happened either. We don't know exactly where that scene happened because it hasn't happened in the books yet. So. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so it could have been anywhere. Um. The um, there were some nice shots in this uh, in this first ten minutes. I thought I liked the shot of like the camera kind of creeping along the dragonstone table, and then it, as it, as it sort of gets to the top of the table, it transitions into the north, and just the black figures on this white abyss, just the vast emptiness. You get a sense of like there's just no life. You know, this is a dead a dead kind of lifeless place. I thought that was evocative. Yeah, it was a nice transition and opening. I really liked it too. Mm-hmm. You know, one question I had in the battle is, okay, so Thoros gets attacked by the bear and presumably eventually dies of his wounds from it. I wonder why they decided to, like, have him stay around for a while longer rather than just die there. Although I did have the thought later that, well, if he died there, then they wouldn't have needed to get another White Walker because they would use him. (laughs) 
Right. Yep. I think that might be it, yeah. <laughs> Although, they seem to imply that only a White Walker can make a White, because when they kill that White Walker later, it, all the other Whites sort of disintegrate. But they burn... So them. maybe it's not just maybe it's not just any dead body, like it has to actually be sort of manipulated by a, a White Except Walker. Except that they burned him because they were afraid that he would turn into one. Right. So yeah, I don't know. You know, the other thing is, did uh, anyone else think that when Beric, like when he, when he, when Beric ends up going at him with his flaming sword to to what we later found out was seal his wounds, did anyone think that he was just going, okay, you're you're too far gone. I'm going to do the nice thing and put you out of your misery. Yeah, I thought they might have been doing that and being a mercy killing, so they knew he wouldn't turn into a white. Right. Exactly. And they didn't go that way. Nope. <laughs> Okay, shall we move on? That's yeah. Okay, so the crew come across a small group of whites who are apparently out on a class excursion. Uh, they ambush them, and when John manages to defeat their White Walker leader, all but one of the whites disintegrates. Uh, they manage to hogtie it, but the commotion alerts the main army of the dead. John orders Gendry to race back to Eastwatch to raise the alarm. The crew then carries the captured white across a frozen pond as thousands of his buddies chase after them. The ice cracks, leaving them trapped on a tiny island at the center, while every single white ever assembles hungrily on the banks of the pond. So, guys, my question is, who could possibly have seen this coming? Never. No one. Um, <laughs> Just one in yeah. a million. Oh, and, man. John's an idiot. Know, and if they had a feeling this might happen, why didn't they just bring a raven with them? <laughs> so many questions. Yeah. I mean, so none, many questions. None of this makes sense. None of it. Why didn't no. they just head back to Eastwatch if it's less than a day's run? Like, right. okay. why not? Well, they had, what, to, why drag, didn't they they had to drag the White Walker. Yeah, but Sandal's carrying one across ice and it doesn't crack. Like... Apparently, all the wildlings are at Eastwatch. Like, why didn't they bring a bigger force? Why didn't they send out scouts to see where the, the White Walker army was? Why didn't they bring ravens with them? Yeah. It, there's no planning has gone into this. Yeah, none of it. So John is not Dior Mormont and is stupid AF, okay? It just, it just makes John seem so bad as a military leader. Like, why do you want to portray your main hero in such a negative light? <laughs> Maybe they're going to kill him off. Nah, they're not. Oh, no. He's they a had, big hit. They have three or four chances to kill him off this season and used <laughs> various forms of Deus Machina to save, save his ass. Well, they're setting him up with all these allusions to Rhaegar and Lyanna as this yeah. prophesized hero, right. yet they don't portray him as any kind of heroic figure. It's, it's Danny that's the hero. She's the one saving the day all the time. Yep. Which, can I say, good job, Danny, as a female, even though I don't necessarily like you and I think you're a bit corny, but good job. Represent. And just on a simple, I mean, regardless of stupid tactics and whatever, okay, so you send Gendry off to run, right, the way you came, and he does. So why, how do they end up on this lake? Like, because did they, they run the into the crowd? Did they go stupid. into the crowd? I mean, it just doesn't make sense. Like, they weren't crossing this lake to get there. So how would, if they're running backwards away from the White Walkers, how did they end up on this lake that they never crossed before? I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. You guys are thinking too hard. Exactly. And that's the problem. That's if it. you just watch it, it's fun. But if you think it, it's weird. <laughs> Yeah, but even an action sequence has to make sense. Like the way it's staged has to make sense. So you should be able to 
follow the spatial dynamics of what's happening. And once you get confused, it no longer works as an action sequences because you're constantly trying to figure out where that where the two forces are in relation to each other, which direction they're heading, and it takes away, it undermines the actual sort of real and present action you're viewing. So these questions do matter, I think. Well, I mean, it depends on what kind of thing you're watching, right? If it's yeah. if it's just ridiculous action movie, then that that which that everything is relegated in the service of the rule of cool. That as long as it's cool, everything does everything else just doesn't matter. Then yeah, it's fun. But the problem is, Game of Thrones has not been operating on that level at any extent. Well, I, I would argue it has in the past, though. I, I would has, argue that's like true. a no, scene like an episode like Hard Home, it's clear where things are in relation to each other. Right. You have mountains and you have a wall that is being attacked and then you have boats that you're retreating. To, so you can figure out the dynamics of where the characters mm-hmm. are. I don't know. I guess I just couldn't. I didn't get that with this scene. It was just um, it was just kind of noise and fury, but without any context. You know, one thing I think is a big difference, too, between this and Hard Home is in Hard Home, we got to meet at least a few of the other people in the area that ended up dying so that when they died, we were like, oh, that's really powerful, like that woman and all that. Whereas in this, we had these red shirts who were apparently walking with them for the entire episode. And we never once got their name. We never once saw their face for more than a half a second. I mean, could you tell me right now how many people were actually in their group if I asked you? Nope. This is another thing I'm I'm talking about staging. It's not clear that there were other wildlings with them. There are. You see them Once you start seeing... No, no, that's what I'm saying. Once you start seeing the bear tearing people apart, right. you're not sure if that's a named character or a yeah. shirt, and you're suddenly taken out of the action again. Yeah, I was yeah. watching the yeah. whole time trying to figure out who was being killed in each scene. Wait, wait, was that Tormund? Was that? Oh, no, it's someone we've never heard of before. I mean, I counted four, you know, red shirt deaths that I could catch, you know, and hmm. I don't know who any of them were. So their deaths meant nothing other than it was like a cool visual. But it, like they could have just, you know, while they were walking and we had all these great character moments. Couldn't we have had a, you know, oh, I can't wait to see my wife or, you know, something, some moment where they had a line even? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just have even just cutting arm around in, some guy. Like, yeah. even if they just cut in on someone's conversation like I was doing too and just they said one line, that'd be yeah. enough to be like, hey, that character has a personality. Right. Okay. There were at least four characters that died that I have no idea who they are and, and don't care. And I should have cared because it would have made this battle and their deaths since no one we actually cared about other than Thoros, which they completely overdid with all the drink, drunk drinking, drinking jokes. You know, I it would have just given it a little more emotional resonance until finally Danny comes along. You know, here's, here's the main problem with and in, when comparing this se- this whole sequence with Hard Home. Hard Home was naturally it's it's a it's a battle that naturally developed out of the story. It happened in the book, although it was never shown, but it fits within the larger thematical development of the series. And the people it had the people there dying, even though we haven't met them before, we understand the emotional consequence, not just or well, not just emotional, but also the you have the wildlings you have a bunch of wildlings that went to rescue all of them in the end they were only able to rescue a small amount and the and and, and that's the tragedy of it mm-hmm. this entire scene is is staged for as a plot device essentially mm-hmm. 
they wanted to they wanted to a kill a dragon they b they wanted to Daenerys to then see the dark the, the white walkers and then for for to create a reason for John and Daenerys to hook up. Mm-hmm. That is that's it. That's why this this entire thing exists, and then to set up I guess whatever the hell summit is happening next episode. That's it. this this entire thing is a plot device. Right. Well, even and if we it, met the, one of the red shirts, so to speak, I mean, they still would have been red shirts. That's it, and that's like it. Like the woman, like the woman at Hard Home that we get to know with the children, she was doomed. Mm-hmm. I mean, we got to know her, and yeah, it, but it was interesting. Yeah, <laughs> but she represented yeah, was, something. She represented something, something yeah. more than just I'm here to die. Right. In place right. of the main right. characters, she represented right. the doomed wildlings. Right. right. Who are trying to rest? Who are just trying to live their own lives? And that's but the, that has any emotional any illusion that she was going to live. Did you? No, no. Well, but she doesn't was. matter. I was really Maybe. sad when she died. Maybe. Yeah. But, but it doesn't matter whether she lives or not. She had and she had she represented something. And we her. had yeah. for just a minute. We had a bit of an emotional attachment to her. So when she died, it mattered. When these yeah. four guys, at least, maybe more, maybe ones we don't know about, or I don't know, when they died. I didn't even know who it was. <laughs> I was looking. I was trying to be like, was that? No, that's not Jorah. That's oh, who cares? <laughs> yeah. The, yeah, the but, other thing that I really admired about Hard Home is how frightening and horrific it made the White Walkers seem <laughs> and the White seem. Right. The way they're tearing through chunks of wood and the 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 the, the wild things are lopping off their arms, but they still keep coming. Mm-hmm. The and just the technical, uh, like even the sound mixing was just this scraping violins and this eerie distortion and uh, they, they use this weird sort of speeding up and slowing down so it seemed like the, the whites were sort of juddering towards the screen and they, they'd fall off a cliff and then get up and start you yeah. know, just, just running hellbent at the at the characters. They seemed like a really... They, they were more than zombies. They were this frightening, yeah. almost sentient. You know, they, they were swinging swords. There was something uh, that we hadn't seen and it was frightening and there was fear in the characters' eyes. The, these massive burly wildlings were, were fleeing into the seas. You know, hundreds of wild fleeing into the seas before this force and then the, uh, the scariest shot is when the camera would sort of pan up and you just see these four horsemen like the four horsemen of the apocalypse just just gazing down and this horrific scraping of the soundtrack like there's there's it's not just narrative merit it's this this attention to technical detail to create this horror film and to me this was the complete opposite of that it was it was clumsy it was sort of comic booky and cheesy and it was all in service to we just want a, a shot of all of these white walkers surrounding the the, the characters and 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 the white yeah, anyway sorry I'm, I'm rambling a bit but um it, tonally I think it just it took a huge step back from it, what the wildlings have been portrayed portrayed uh, up until this point it was what we've jokingly called it it was the Avengers I mean let's face it you have you know seven Avengers against eight million Ultrons or whatever and you know they're gonna win because they're the Avengers. You know, we've never really had that on Game of Thrones before. You know, you had Hard Home and you had lots and lots of these bad guys coming in. Yeah, John's not going to die. But, you know, who I wouldn't have been surprised if anyone else had died that was important. And lots of people did die there. You know, whereas here we had a few red shirts and Thoros just so we can have one of the Magnificent Seven die. You know, and admittedly, once, you know, once Viserion came in, that was huge. But it just felt like this was a bad action movie where the hero can take on anything. And that made them seem less of a threat. 
Although admittedly, exactly the you know the dragon, not the even... dragon White Walker is a big big change. Yeah, I, I think it goes. Yeah, I mean, Hard Home was incredible, and I'm not a big zombie fan, and I felt like or zombie movie fan. I felt like <laughs> this was a typical zombie movie where Hard Home was like an atypical kind of special event. And yeah, I, I yeah, dragons aside, it, it definitely doesn't live up to Hard Home. I, I thought it was interesting that most of the reviews of this were really kind of like the stuff we were talking about, you know, talked about the, you know, the narrative problems with it. But I think if you talked, if you read online what people were saying about it who weren't diehard fans, and if you talked to people who were friends who watched it, everyone seemed to love it and think it was really exciting and really awesome. So I think it did what it needed to do. Well, at the end of the day, how um, much how much do you care about a narrative? Like A hundred percent. Well, I care us, a lot about it. Us, yeah, and that's I the do. problem. And there, and there, and there is there within is the problem. If you're a, a casual viewer who can't even keep track of the who this character is and who that character is, well, this character is doing cool shit with a fire sword. That 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 character is is is, is commanding dragons to, to to kill a bunch of whites. And then that bad guy is then showing a javelin to shoot down a dragon. That's cool. <laughs> At the same time, you're, though, those people, me out. At the same time, those people don't even know who Thoros of Mir is, so him dying has no emotional resonance for them at all because they but couldn't even matter. remember. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. They, they, that's not what they're watching Game of Thrones for. Yeah, but the thing is, when I started watching Game of Thrones, I did watch it for the storyline and the plot for the narrative. So mm-hmm. it's gone from what I really wanted to watch to something I don't particularly want to watch because I think it's pointless and I'd much rather spend my time doing something else. But I'm still watching it for the hope that I will get some great storylines or some great character development. Yeah, I mean, it has changed over the seasons, I think, because it started off as a character drama. Yeah became increasingly more of like a thriller with these you know horrible massacre set pieces then has become more of like a war well i well, think now it's gone sort of full-blown fantasy but let's just put it out there because it's we're, we're way past the books and the problem is mm-hmm. dnd we we, we we can we can talk about them we can mock them we can whatever they're good they're good at some things but they're not very good at some other things they're very good at creating spectacles they're not very good at creating their own storylines. They're as compelling as George. They know the, what their strengths are. So they're going to focus all their energy on creating spectacles. Now, the problem is, how do you get from one spectacle to another? They're, with George, once one big scene flows to the next big scene organically in large storyline, because he has this whole storyline, trying to figure out this whole, how this entire story fits together. They're much more interested in getting from point A to point B. And you could argue that's where Georgia gets bogged down is trying to sure. make these things sure. flow, and that's part of the problem. <laughs> but, yeah, no, that's true. Yeah. That's absolutely true. That's why George is taking six years to write a book. I think that I think that's a great point. Being, it, it feels much less organic mm-hmm. in more recent seasons. It doesn't. It, there's no natural flow from scene to scene. Characters' motivations don't quite make sense or aren't entirely justified, and they're subservient to you know plot A, plot B. Plot mm-hmm. C points, and they sort of yeah, awkwardly fit into those, and it's, yeah. it's it's unsatisfying for a viewer. Right, and you can argue that why, if we really want to ask, why did they have this plan to go north? And the answer is because they wanted to have this great penultimate episode 
battle. I mean, let's face it, that is the whole reason for this. I mean, yeah, they could have just flown in with Danny and done the same exact thing, and it would have been a five-minute scene, and it would have accomplished the same thing, and, you know, maybe we would have had the dead dead dragon or not, but they could have done that. But, of course, the whole point was to get to this big battle, and, and it was exciting, and, and the fans who don't think about it too much loved it and 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 that's fine i mean you kind of have to accept that that's why they went there because it probably wouldn't have worked any other way we probably wouldn't have had this battle if you actually had to think about it because the whole plan was stupid but you know i mean we do think about it and that kind of hurts this is one of the times where being a fan actually like hurts your enjoyment of it a little more than than it should but you know i'm okay with that whatever yeah, I mean that's the other gripe that the the senselessness of the plan undermines undermines the sense of peril since mm-hmm. it could so easily have been prevented or avoided. Yep. Um, but yeah, uh, any more to say on the first half of Beyond the Wall? Or should we move on? We might we'll come back to it, um, but we might move on to Winterfell if that's okay. Yes, um, sure. All right, so. Arya confronts Sansa with the letter she wrote to Rob, requesting he bend the knee to Joffrey. Sansa tells her the Lannisters gave her no no choice, but Arya rebuts that she had the choice to refuse or fight back. Later, Sansa frets to Littlefinger about the growing animosity between the two sisters, and he suggests using Brienne as a bodyguard. Instead, Sansa sends Brienne to King's Landing to treat with Cersei. Sansa sneaks into Arya's chamber and finds her sack of faces. Uh, Arya enters and coldly threatens Sansa with the Valerian dagger, but stops short of using it before leaving. Um, so yeah, this is a pretty tough scene to watch. Just the the, uh, so the verbal barbs being exchanged between the two sisters. It was really cruel. I thought, what did you guys so think? So weird. I thought it was, I actually quite liked it because it is the type of show that I want to watch. So... <laughs> So I liked this part a lot more than North of the Wall scenes. Like, this was the stuff I enjoyed more. And It's hard for me to judge this because I don't know where they're going with it. And, yeah, and maybe, depending on where they go, like, I, I, some people have theorized that maybe, you know, maybe Arya actually is acting all this out to try to pull out Littlefinger. And if that's the case, I, I will love it. But mm-hmm. I'm not sure that's where they're, I don't, I'm not sure that's where they're going. I, I, it's hard for me to say where what I think of it because it'll depend on where they go. If it goes somewhere cool and neat and smart and makes sense for the characters, then all this I'll like. If if it goes somewhere really dumb and horrible, then not so much. Do, do you think we're supposed to side with Sansa? Because that's because from my my interpretation was that Arya's just gone completely off the deep end. Like she, she's been killing and seeking revenge for so long that she literally can't stop. And she sees targets everywhere, even within her own family. I think that's where they're going for. I hope that's where they're going for. Um, I think we're supposed to think that. Yeah. You know, with this, I'd say yes, but Arya has a lot more fans than Sansa does. So I think with the general population, they'd probably be supporting Arya because it's more like, yeah, you go, girl, you murder that person. But the problem is that it's really it, troubling. I know. It's the, because some of my friends, they're like, I love Arya so much. And I'm like, she's nuts. She's been nuts since like season, I don't know, for a long time. I'm sorry, but. I just think she's been going off the, off the deep end for a very long time. 
I hope that's not where they're going with her because it kind of undermines the character development she got earlier in the season. Like that whole scene, you know, with Ed Shireen and all that. You know, what was the point of that if she is, in fact, going crazy and, you know, being, Mm. you know, off the deep end? So I'm hoping that this is all some sort of weird trick. Either that or that Bran's going to come in and, and kick them both into shape and say, hey, do you know what happened to each other? Do you know what's going on here? Let's this is the bad guy. Let's stop him. Like, legit, with this scene, I was actually going, where's Bran? He needs to get his butt in there. He needs to keep one of his three eyes on Winterfell and on his sisters and keep an (laughs) eye on them because what the hell is he doing? We haven't seen him, like, for a very long time. I think someone just wheeled him into a closet and shut the door. (laughs) (laughs) He's too deep into Weirwood Net. He's just out there freezing. Like, no one cares. No one can deal with him. (laughs) It's because Mira's not Um, here, okay? Right, yeah. (laughs) The evaluation that Arya offers of Sansa was interesting in the way that it tied with the faceless man and assuming identities and it it seems like Arya still sees Sansa as she did when they were children or as she was in season (laughs) season one like she sees people as these kind of fixed objects that don't change or grow over time and and you can just take a person's face because that's what they are that's you know she sees people as like players on a stage or caricatures this idea that, that there's a human being, a living, breathing, changing, growing human being underneath is is foreign to her. And it's the twisting or the the expression of sort of childhood resentment is, is interesting. Like mm-hmm. the, the sibling rivalry between them is still kind of festering. Mm-hmm. She still blames Sansa for a lot of the difference in the in the way the two sisters were treated. Like they haven't really moved beyond that point. Mm-hmm. They're sort of arrested in development. And even Sansa, I mean, Sansa's obviously a, a lot more well adjusted. But the way she talks to Arya is sort of talking to her as though she's still a child in a way, even mm-hmm. though Arya's been through so much and experienced so much. You know, she's not a child anymore, mm-hmm. really. Though Sansa does call out, you know, Arya when you know when she's saying, "Oh, you had another choice. You could have done it," and and then she says, "Well." You could have done something when you were when you were there too, and you didn't. We were both young. We were both terrified, and and that's a valid point, you know, for for her to blame Sansa for what she did in that letter when you know Arya didn't do anything better at that time isn't really fair. They were both terrified kids in a horrible situation, and and I'm glad she she does call her out, and she does also point out, you know, I did save Winterfell. You know, <laughs> you got to give me a little exactly. credit for that, and and I like that. With Arya reading the letter, though, and Sansa's response to it, Sansa didn't even really want to send the letter. It was Cersei made her send the letter, mm-hmm. and it was on the condition that if she sent it, that Ned would be allowed to go north and join the Night's Watch. Right. So Sansa actually did try her best to try to stop him from being beheaded. Right. Which like, she says, but Arya didn't Arya says you're an idiot for believing that, though. <laughs> and if you remember back to season one, when Rob receives the letter, he immediately says, this is the Queen's word. Yeah, Catelyn's, right. The Catelyn says the same thing. Yep. Right. She's being forced to, to write this by the Lannisters. Right. So you think Arya would be smart enough to figure that out. And this, this idea of blackmailing her into t- telling the other lords i mean I, I doubt that would work because the other lords are probably completely privy to this because they would have been at rob's war table and they probably would have seen the letter before yep so i don't know i just aria doesn't seem to have a firm grip on reality here this is why i like the theory that that she's faking it and that this is all a plan i hope it's true but i'm not sure if that's where they're gonna go 
you know, actually with this, it brings it back to what we were saying last week with how the show's portraying Arya as a master assassin. But I was saying last week that I don't think she really is. And I think she is being fooled by Littlefinger. And I think it's her decision making isn't where it should be. She can do things yeah, physically, but I don't think she's understanding things mentally. And whether that's because she's been ripped from so many places and has had so much happen to her and she hasn't yeah. really found a home yet that she feels safe in. And hopefully mm-hmm. she will feel safe in Winterfell soon. But whether that's why. So maybe she stays there. Yeah. I mean, she was lost at such a young age. Right. And she's seen so much horror and violence and been in the company of so many horrible, violent people that she has such a warped sense of right and wrong. Mm -hmm. And the punishment for being wrong is killing, often brutally. I mean, I think the Mm -hmm. end of season five, when she stabs um, Meryn Tran to death, is meant to be this really disturbing moment for the viewer because, Mm -hmm. in one sense, it's like, yes, this is a bad person who should be punished. But in another sense, you've crossed over into this dark, violent persona that you probably can't come back from. Mm-hmm. And I don't think she has been able to come back from that. Um, and she's been killing for so long that she doesn't, it's so a part of her nature that she can't stop. It's a bit like, a, I guess as a comparison to Cersei with the Tyrells wanting to, to wreak vengeance against all these other families so much. But even when all the Tyrells are dead, she still can't stop. And Jamie has to repeatedly tell her they're all dead. There's no more <laughs> satisfaction to be gained here. Yeah. Um, with that, no character or no person should be judge, jury, and executioner anyway. Mm-hmm. Like, no one should have that much power over anything. And, yeah. it. Yep. But in a weird way, it's sort of a twisted version of Ned's mantra, like the one who passes the sentence should swing the sword. I think there's... And Arya's yeah. taken that literally as, as, an, as she's the judge, <laughs> jury, and executioner, yeah. as you say. She's not mentally equipped or old enough to make those decisions. And that she's not doing does. research, it seems like. It's very much in, I saw you do this, I don't care what your reason for this is, but because you did this, I'm going to kill you, rather than going and looking at the reasoning behind it, which hmm. you should be doing to try to understand why or, and see why their decisions are happening or why they're making that decision and if there's a justifiable reason for it. Mm-hmm. I also get a sense that there's this strong resentment between the two about what happened to them since Ned's death, and that Arya, even though she acknowledged it's, that Sansa's been through a really tr- traumatic experiences, Arya maybe thinks that she's had it worse or that she's had it rougher, and that even if Sansa was among enemies, she was still being pampered and she was still uh, obeying what the Lannisters were doing and she didn't fight back. So she sort of, she's kind of victim blaming Sansa in a way. Like, why didn't you fight back? Why didn't you try and do something? You should have been in the mud with me suffering. You know, I really liked what Sansa said when she said you wouldn't have survived what I survived. And I think that's true because Sansa stood there and she, she took it. She played the long game. She didn't fight back, or at least not face-to-face, because if she had, she would have been killed. Joffrey would have killed her in a fit of anger. Ramsay would have tortured her and killed her. So she did do the smart thing in playing the long game and just making sure she survived. I think that's exactly right, and that's the comparison often made between the two sisters, that Sansa wouldn't have survived in the wild and Arya wouldn't have survived at court. Right. Um, she would have she would have offended Joffrey and been killed. And it's like, you know, Sansa, maybe she didn't fight back, but she survived and she 
played politics and eventually she got Winterfell back. You right. know, she was the one that helped do that to right. reclaim the Stark home. Just because she used different weapons, it doesn't mean she wasn't you know, fighting the same battle. Mm-hmm. Right. One nice callback a little earlier in the scene was when Arya talks about the back when Ned was watching her shooting arrows. It's not quite the scene in the first episode because she says she was alone. So it seems it was a little earlier than that when she was learning how to shoot weapons. I mean, shoot arrows, but I really like that little callback almost to that first scene. Mm. You know, we keep talking about how there's all these callbacks to the first season or previous seasons, but that was a really nice one. You know, it, it's nice yeah. for, that Arya actually has a positive, happy memory. You know, <laughs> She has so few. Yeah, I, you know, this is all very interesting, and I, I think at first it was—I don't know. It, 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 at first glance, I, I wasn't buying into this as much. I, I watched it again last night, and I, I almost felt like I, I, I do take the side of Sansa fans um, mm-hmm. when people want to get very tropey and say, "Well, why didn't she just grab a sword and stab Joffrey or some dumb shit like that?" But um, it almost like. I almost felt like it was satire against those people that you know, Arya was taking the position of these people that felt like Sansa should have just grabbed a sword and started, you know, hacking people at court and, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like the, the unreasonable Sansa haters. I think Arya was almost taking their position. Why do you guys think that Sansa sent Bran away? I don't get that. I'm okay. not clear. Like what? What was first of all? What was Littlefinger's plan bringing it up with her? And then why did she send her away? I, I'm okay. not. I don't think I can even guess at this point. Do you think it's I? I had the biggest question of why is she telling Littlefinger all of this during it? I'm like, she doesn't trust him. She knows not to trust him. Why is she talking to him about it? But then with the Brienne scene, it makes me almost wonder if she did it to sound him out to see whether he's the one trying to do anything. And then because he is saying to keep Brienne close. She's like, I need to send you away because of him just to make sure, because I don't want you to be used against anyone in my family. Which also leads the other question. What is Cersei's plan in calling for Sansa to come to court with her? What, what, what is that about? We haven't seen her even talk about this before. Is it the truth thing? Because Cersei knows that she has no hope against Danny because she's on her father's throne and we saw that last episode. Do you think it's if she tries to get the Starks on board, she might have a chance or at least more of a chance? Yeah. Seems to be like a gathering of the great houses for a truce or a sit down or something. Yeah. I was wondering if, I mean, the intimation that Littlefinger offers is that Brienne's kind of caught between obeying both sisters so maybe, as you say, Sansa was trying to get her out of harm's way. But, I mean, the, the more sinister possibility is that she's also, because she's um, sworn to defend Arya, by removing her, Arya can be gotten rid of. Yeah. Mm, I would hope. I hope that's not where they're going. But it could be. I mean, I don't think Sansa wants to do that. But if she fears that Arya is going to cut her face off or whatever, maybe she needs to make that. Well, you you would think that would be a good reason to keep her around, though. If Arya's going to cut her face off, Brienne might stop that. <laughs> but it right, might. Exactly. Yeah. It's. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. know. I don't it doesn't know. make sense. Yeah. Or it has yet to be revealed. Maybe it's a better way of saying it. <laughs> I saw a funny tweet on on Twitter, and it was like, um, Sansa's like, Arya, why do you have a sack full of faces? And then Arya goes, But what about your emails? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Okay, so moving on to Dragonstone. 
Uh, Tyrion presses the question of Danny's infertility and how they will be able to sustain her dynasty after it has been established. Danny is offended and refuses to discuss it until she's won the throne. Uh, the hardest working little raven in Westeros arrives from Eastwatch, informing Danny that the that informing Danny that the terribly planned excursion beyond the wall is not going too well, and they would appreciate some dragons if she's not too busy. Uh, she dons her Elsa cosplay, mounts up, and takes to the air while Tyrion huffs and puffs far behind. Um, it's a pretty short short scene, uh, just discussing the uh, upcoming negotiations with King's Landing. But uh, any thoughts on this scene? Isn't it a little early to be talking about secession, like like Danny says? I mean, it's a great thought, but let's win first. <laughs> but I guess the thing yeah. is, someone needs to take control of Dragonstone if she dies. Like, that sort of thing. Right, yeah. So it is something that she should at least have an idea for, or be like, no, because she knows she's going off dangerous places to fight stuff, and she gets on her dragon, and I'm like, you're a fucking idiot. You're going off to the most dangerous place and she doesn't you know don't have anyone to be like, hey, if I die, I want this person to be in charge or like anything like that. No contingency plans. I'm like, you're stupid. So stupid. Who could she Who could she possibly name though? Right. Tyrion. Tyrion? Miss Anday. <laughs> Actually, no, probably Miss Anday. Realistically though, if Miss she Anday. dies... If she dies, doesn't the revolution kind of die with her? I mean, yes, there's still Dothraki here, so that's good. But no one can control the dragons as of yet that we know of. And, you know, and and she, the whole thing she has is that she has the rightful claim to the throne, you know, until we think about, until we think about John, which we don't know about yet. So what, at this point, what would they have without her? They don't have dragons. They would have Dothraki. The Dothraki will go looting and hoarding, but they don't care about the throne. Without her, they don't, what are they going to do? So let's say Missande or Tyrion or whoever takes over. What do they got? There's no alliance anymore. You're on. They have the Unsullied <laughs> providing. They get them out. Maybe. And Dragonstone. But so it'll I, be whoever wants to be the heir for that. Right. But they've lost the Dothraki at that point because they only liked her because she walked through fire and all that. So. Yeah. Yeah. They Without got Danny, it all falls apart. Right. Yeah. So the whole idea of secession is kind of moot. But if she takes over and she establishes and she's got it going and, and we've got, you know, a dynasty now, then, you know, it's a lot easier at that point for someone to take over because you're already in power. You can't have a revolution when you've lost your leaders. Then they become a martyr. So. But for who? For Tyrion to go up against his sister and kill her. Himself though, <laughs> he has no <laughs> nothing behind it. That's the problem. I feel I feel bad for Tyrion. He's he's been made to look really stupid this whole season. Like yeah. all of his plans have failed. If we can return once again to the stupidity of the uh, kidnap the white plan, just briefly. Um, <laughs> How is that breaking? I think we actually <laughs> go ahead. I think it's still strange to me that it hasn't been questioned that it's worth risking the life of the king in the north to get something that may not achieve anything. It, it just seems to be yeah. universally accepted that Cersei is such a reasonable and benevolent <laughs> ruler that, that seeing this is going to convince her to fight for the good of the realm. I mean, of all people, Tyrion should should see the stupidity in this plan. That He should know Cersei as a person and realize that she doesn't care anything about the realm. Well, he secretly wants to off John, obviously. Only reason. 
Well, to be fair also, though, I mean, remember that the biggest argument that Jamie made to her is we're going to lose this crap. We are going to lose. And, you know, regardless of this, this is our only hope of survival. So at that point, though, the having the White Walker is kind of irrelevant. So I don't know. Maybe the thought is that, well, if we can kind of have this at least truce, that will you know, give us some time to, you know, maybe buy some you know, buy some right. the Golden Cup, whatever, you know, it buys us but, time at least. But, T- but Tyrion doesn't really know any of that, does he? She doesn't know what he does. I mean, he's, he well, sort of told the situation to Jamie. Right. He did but, say to Jamie, you're going to lose this, you know, you, we, she's going to win. Yeah. So I just think maybe, maybe I'm, I'm letting my book sort of Tyrion influences, but his perception of Cersei is just this mad woman. Um, I don't know. I did see an interesting post on Reddit that sort of, I mean, it's a bit fan fiction-y, but it was basically saying if they just changed a couple of plot points, this plan might have made a bit more sense. And it was basically um, if Jamie had been captured by the Dothraki, which he probably should have given the cliffhanger at the end of that episode. But if he'd been captured, then then they could have sort of held him hostage and, and that would have sort of forced Cersei into a position of negotiation. Um, and then... Oh, they could have explained to her, you know, there's this bigger enemy emerging in the north. We need to have a ceasefire to deal with it. And she could have been like, all right, I'll have a ceasefire, but only if you bring me proof. And then, you know, bring me a white or something. And, you know, it still would have been a stupid plan. But at least then it would have been forced by circumstance. Would Jamie, would would Cersei negotiate for Jamie? Would Cersei negotiate for Jamie? I don't know. Can I say that the problem with that plan is Danny doesn't do hostages. We know this now. It's bend the knee or die. Mm. But otherwise, yes. Right. Although in this well, case, I mean, she should. She should do hostage. In this case, Tyrion sure. probably could convince her. It's my brother. Can you just keep him alive, please? <laughs> or it'll be like bend yeah. the fucking knee, you bloody idiot. For right now, bend and I mean, the knee. I mean, the Tallies sort of sort of insulted her, and then she roasted them. Well, they said she said, "No, you can go to the wall." But they're like, "No, well, you're not the rightful queen. You can't do that." Whereas Jamie might have been a bit more pliable or offered to offer to be a spokesperson to, to Cersei or whatever. Yeah. Set up something. Um, I don't know. It's just. Yeah. <laughs> but otherwise, I'm just trying to figure out ways that this could be less stupid. Otherwise, it, it that does sound is. like a lot better plan. They should have had that person workshop their script. <laughs> it is. I did it like Danny's little uh, little northern coat when she was mounting up on Drogon. It was very stylish. <laughs> but no, I just thought her coat when I saw it. I'm like, she should really be wearing black so they can a see her in the snow. B she blends into Drogon. Because right now she's a little icicle on a sea of black. <laughs> True. Yeah. That's like. I wonder where she got that. Like, who made that for her? She has a great seamstress. Like, fantastic. Does so much good work. Works day and night. Yeah. Yep. Slaves away. I wonder if she's got like a, a an outfit for every all of the Seven Kingdoms, just like ready to go. She has to <laughs> go to that part of Westeros. She should. Yeah. And then we can see her wardrobe and be like. She has so many pretty dresses. <laughs> <laughs> what's what's she gonna wear in Dorne? <laughs> Not much. <laughs> yeah, silk, yellow silk probably. Yeah, don't need much material for that. Yeah, that region. <laughs> All right, yeah. we'll uh, we'll head back north of the wall. So John and Co wait patiently in the center of the lake, while the Whites and White Walkers wait patiently outside it. It's a classic Canadian standoff. Thoros succumbs to his wounds and dies overnight. Sandor, eager to follow him, starts throwing rocks at the army of the dead. Their patient wears off and they resume their attack over the refrozen <laughs> lake. 
The battle kicks off again, but just before they're about to be overrun, Danny arrives on her dragon ex machina to save the day. <laughs> the dragons Sorry. the dragons light up the whites and the crew quickly load their undead cargo onto Drogon's back. However, instead of joining them for a speedy departure, John turns around and charges back into the army of the dead, Leroy Jenkins style. This gives the Night's King enough time to show off his Winter Olympic-worthy javelin skills. He hits one of the dragons, plunging it into the river. John vanishes underwater as well, and Danny pieces the hell out. John scrambles out of the hypothermic liquid and once again faces off against a sea of enemies. However, just before he's about to be overrun, Benjen X Machina arrives <laughs> and saves the day. Okay. I a? actually wrote that down, Benjen X Machina. <laughs> a. Sandal's a fucking idiot, man. Like, <laughs> legit. Right? <laughs> Why at the same time. rocks? When you know the only thing stopping the goddamn whites is the fact that the ice might break. Why would you do that? I don't you, you have tens of thousands understand. of White Walkers. None of them even decided to test it until the rock showed up. Like, I mean, you can you can sacrifice a few of them. Why didn't a few of them start to walk like an hour before that? No, and if and they fell well, in, I don't understand. I don't understand why the whites didn't just go into the river. It's not like they need to breathe. It's not like they're going to freeze to death. They could just walk along the the bottom of the river and then climb out onto the island. Yeah. Okay. Um, there'd be, I, there was ice covering it. They wouldn't be able to climb out. But well, they could have punched through with no, their knives. No, yeah, isn't it at Hard Home they didn't really go in the water either? True. True. So I had yeah. a weird theory up until this episode that they didn't like either salt water or just water in general, but that got trashed with them trying to pull Tormund underwater. Otherwise, it would have been a great theory. Right. But, oh, well, with it, yeah. why didn't... I mean, the hard home the hard home thing, at least, it's like an ocean, so it would be quite deep. Right. Like, they wouldn't necessarily be able to swim up. But this is, you know... A lake. I figure they can walk down to the bottom of a lake and then sort of crawl up. Even just stand on top of each other in the ice lake and just form a bridge to get yeah. people over, like... <laughs> You've got, you've got all night. You can make a little pyramid. Like, or at the very least, why weren't they just people. regularly checking it out? Why weren't they at least regularly checking it out? Like, okay, let's send two out. Oh, they drowned. Oh, well, let's – ten more minutes. Let's send two more. Why do we have to wait until Sandra throws a rock? I mean <laughs> – No, and with our Avengers, right, why weren't they breaking the ice and making sure it stayed broken around them yeah. like when it started – With a hammer. Over? Yeah, when with a hammer. got a hammer. It's the only good thing about it. Like – why? <laughs> they literally have the perfect ice-crushing instrument. <laughs> exactly. Literally. I mean, and well, and also, the White Walkers are right there. They have a bunch of javelins. Why don't they just throw them at, exactly. the, at the team of Night's Watchmen? <laughs> That's another point. So many questions. <laughs> so many questions. Again, we're thinking way too much about this. That's our problem. We're nerds. <laughs> You're not supposed to think. True. Just enjoy the action. It's an action sequence. You know, I, this is a show for nerds. I know. You should expect no, this. I mean, I did it too. I'm, I'm not denying it. I did it too. But at the same <laughs> yeah. time, we're... We're, it's sad that we're now no longer the target audience. I mean, if you want to talk about the javelins, how about a better question? Okay, so the Night King is grabbing a javelin, and he's got a he's got Drogon on the ground right in front of him. And I was watching this again we as I watched it a little while ago, sitting on the ground right in front of him. And instead he goes, you know, I'm not going to take the easy shot. I'm going to shoot at the one flying way up there in the sky. <laughs> no, he's not going to take the shot at the people who are trying to get away. Right. I'm going to take a shot at the dragon up there like what <laughs> oh my god Drogon's on the ground in front of him 
<laughs> but that wouldn't have been as dramatic. And obviously, you can't kill Drogon. So plot armor. <laughs> Drogon needs to get rid I of think, his plot armor. Jesus Christ, give him some real armor. <laughs> I think if I was going to be generous, I'd I'd say that the Night King knows about the dragon, and he was basically luring Danny into an ambush. Right. Oh. He wanted to make a white dragon, Stop which isn't totally implausible. If 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 like the three-eyed raven can can see things and. I guess maybe the White Walker has those kinds of powers as well. I mean, they did have those chains just waiting, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, like they had. Yeah, it seemed like they had them ready to go. So maybe this was a bit of a plan. Get to that later, but yeah. I mean, that that is possible, but I don't know. It's. <laughs> I was wondering too if John is like a secret genius that he's been like seducing Danny the whole time with his like <laughs> with his smolder, and like he went on this suicide mission specifically to force her to come and save him and like get involved. In the, it's like this great Machiavellian figure <laughs> that he's forced Danny to come north. All that probably like, not. I All love of that this... so much more, actually. No, like, right. Yeah. So much more. <laughs> I'll say this, that as much as we want to criticize it, I mean, as soon as Danny showed up, I, I, I started liking the scenes a whole lot more because Dracarys will never get old to me. <laughs> and, you know, the dragons were awesome and her just and, and Drogon and all three of them tearing up armies of White Walkers was really cool and worked out well. And I mean, that moment when he does take out the dragon, even if it is the one in the sky or whatever, was still, even though you saw it coming, was still shocking and powerful and a massive, massive game changer. Because, you know, I remember, you know, last year or earlier, everyone was saying, why doesn't Danny just go up and burn everyone? Well, now you have your answer because there is a little problem with that. And and I and this this just changes everything on the show. It changes the the math of how we're going to save the day now when they can actually stop Danny with their dragons. And and it just was so powerful and well done. And I loved this whole part of the story, even if it made Sorry. no sense. Yeah. You know, the, this scene with the dragons is probably the most excited I've been to see the dragons all season. And it was all three. It was all three of them as well, just kind of yeah. weaving in and out, and the flames pouring, and just the the uh, vibrancy of the colors, like the the blacks and the whites and the crystalline textures against the the sort of roaring orange flames was really cool. It was. I watched this in the dark last night, and it really <laughs> made a difference. It just from when uh, the sun went down and it was darker when they were sitting on the rock waiting. And, and then when the dragons come, it, I, uh, I highly suggest you try it. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> the perfect visual experience. Yeah. I mean, we've said before, they're really great at spectacle and this was some really great spectacle. Whether it made sense is another story. <laughs> is it worth griping at all about the, uh, the timelines or the distances or, or are we past that? You know, I know we're all sighing. You know, this is the first time that the teleporting bothered me because, I mean, let's face it. How long were they sitting on that damn island? I mean, first of all, Gendry has to run all the way back the way they came, which they've been walking since last week. You know, then we have to get a raven out. Then Danny has to fly out. And, and even if you assume Drogon and all them are really fast, it's still going to take some time. 
I mean, it had to have been a day. It, there was I was actually reading an interview with one of the directors, and he even admits that, you know, that, that yeah, they were fudging the time a little. And they kind of did that on purpose. And they that's why they didn't ever mention how much time had passed. And they were kind of keeping the light kind of down. So they were hoping to kind of, you know, feed on that whole like northern long days kind of thing. Yeah. Well, usually, <laughs> I mean, it, it's the fact that we know there was a fixed amount of time passing, that we know it was only happening over a night. And it's probably one of the largest distances they've had to carry, uh, they've had to travel. I mean, she's on Dragonback and the Raven's flying. So obviously it's possible. But it makes it makes Westeros seem pretty pretty tiny compared to what we've seen in the past. Like you know, Brienne and Jamie spending a whole season traversing the Riverlands. Right. Yeah, and the thing is, north of the Wall is meant to be massive and a lot larger than just the Riverlands or the Southern Kingdom. So, how does right. it make sense? It doesn't. Yeah, and it doesn't. with the Gendry thing, in my notes, I was like Gendry Cam, and. He didn't get much time. It was like one night. He ran a week's worth of walking. How slow were they walking, by the way, in one night? <laughs> I hope that Raven got like a sack of corn when he arrived at Dragonstone. <laughs> Dragonstone. Bloody, bloody legend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and then, and then another good question is, okay, so Benjen saves John, right? Why didn't he just hop on the horse? You know, he did that with Bran last season. He could have just hopped on and gone with him. I mean, maybe he had to stay to stop them, but he didn't really. <laughs> so was yeah. Benjen just suicidal at this point? He did his job. He knew his job was to save, Wait. you know, his his yeah. two nephews. I, or <laughs> I have a big question with Benjen being a white that can control himself. Why do you think he is able to even control himself? Because I'm thinking whether it's because he is a Stark and there's some magic blood stuff and that's why. Because we've never seen any of the other ones being able to control themselves. And it's just annoying me more and more the more we see him. I think I feel like the three-eyed says, raven probably did it. Yeah, I think he says something yeah. to Bran about like the children of the forest helping him or helping him right. recover a little bit. Like He's still dead, but he's not under the White Walker's control. And I guess, I mean, yeah, it didn't wasn't really explained. I mean, John's like, Benjen, but how? <laughs> like, yeah, how exactly? Yeah. But I guess right. technically, because he's because he's a white, like he can't actually go back to the wall. Um, and maybe like he thought the horse having two people would slow them down. So I don't know. It it, don't know. it, it makes sense why he didn't jump on the horse, but yeah, it was a bit jarring. But Benjen and it has his scale, character. so you need that weapon against whites, by the way. And the actor probably wants to go on other shows, so he's like, oh, I want to just die and get, get done with this show. Plus, it did, give them one more death for the, it did give them one more death for this episode. So, you know, I mean, but otherwise... He probably didn't die scared. because plot armor. I think and he's said, already dead. I think in the official summary, he, they said he did, so... I don't know. <laughs> By the way, did any of you see the posts online where people took, like, screen captures of John coming out of the water? And if you look at Longclaw... It looks like the eye opens when he comes out of the water. I suspect it's just a trick of the light, you know, a little yeah. light, light, you know, reflection. But it still is a cool idea if it really did have, if that was deliberate. I don't know if it was, but it, the sword's turned evil. <laughs> the sword is now a white walker. <laughs> Maybe it won't kill white walkers anymore because it's on their side. Oh, man. You know, with John falling into the water, I was waiting for him to come back up on top of the dragon and it was going to be an ice dragon, I was just like, they're going to do it, aren't they? And no, they didn't. That's what I thought he was going to do. He was going to like run and jump on the other dragon, and they were going to fly away. Yeah. Um, like, 
the other dragon had to leave too. I mean, I know she's already lost one of her children, but still, it wasn't her favorite. Did anyone think that maybe they were going to do something different with John other than just have him be saved when they when he fell into the water and then they left him behind? Like, I was wondering if they were going to go so far to have maybe the Night King take him over or something. But that would have been that that's something be... they wouldn't do on the show. No, that'd be really cool. And then whether he's right. sort of like Benjamin because he's already been brought back oh. by Relor. So that, been... that would have been really cool because you'd have a fire white sort of thing as an actual wife Mm -hmm. which i would have found that incredibly interesting it would have been great yeah i mean what ended up happening was kind of the most um expected thing to happen um Mm -hmm. nothing really surprised me all that i mean i was surprised by benjamin coming out of nowhere but not in a good way Um, right i liked it i liked it 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 gave his character closure it it worked Mm. No, with Benjamin, like they could have had Ghost instead. And I have a serious question. Ooh. Does Benjamin have, like, a stark compass or something? Because how does he know <laughs> when they need him and where they are? Like, <laughs> He's got a little GPS. I think well, he maybe, does. Maybe his, his, you know, his white senses can sense the other whites or something. His you know, he's, he's still a little... Tingling. He's a little attached to them, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where um, is Ghost? We need Ghost back. He should be on this expedition protecting his master. No, mm-hmm. why wasn't Ghost there? Because we haven't seen him all season, have we? Nope. So, he, like, he could have been north of the wall having fun and playing around and rolling around and then be like, oh, shit, man, John needs me. Well, and that was John's far there. away, though. That would be far away, although maybe Ghost can teleport, too, so. <laughs> <laughs> he's been gone all season, so that's months, so, yeah. I'm assuming he's in Winterfell, so... One, um, one thing we haven't mentioned yet, which was probably the most interesting moment in the entire battle, which is Tormund's almost death there. Did, it, yeah. did most of you think they were going to do it or what? I mean, I thought they were really going to go there. I thought Tormund was, was gone. They were pulling him into the water, and I thought that was the end of it. And, and it was I... probably the only moment in there where I was really like emotionally like scared for a character yes. up, until, up until the dragons. Agreed. No, with Tormund, I was like, no, they're going to kill Tormund. And I'm like, he's screaming for help. And I'm like, John, I know you aren't doing anything. You need to get off <laughs> your butt. Let go of that white and go help your friend. And then Sandor saved him. And I'm like, yay. Kiss <laughs> by fire, people help each other. Right. But oh. Yeah, it's pretty horrible the way he's screaming. Like that would have been a, yeah. a rough way to go. Um, and then mm-hmm. nobody was helping him. I was like, oh. we well, didn't even been... see anybody like fighting towards him. I know they're all fighting other people as well, but. I mean, I guess it was sort of undermined by the fact that they were all surrounded by whites, so they were going to die anyway, technically, unless a dragon came in to save them. Which is what they're all praying for. No, with that last, with John seeing all of the whites on the other side of the cliffy bit, and he's like, oh, shit. Honestly, at that point, would you have kept fighting, or would you have been like, we're going to die, let's do, like, an honourable sacrifice sort of thing and just kill ourselves so you don't have to be torn limb from limb or would you just wait it out and hope that a dragon comes and saves you <laughs> I, there's no hope unless a dragon comes save you in that situation let's be honest yeah yeah Again, conveniently I, at the exact last moment <laughs> the, the thing i kept posting on twitter was what was the plan <laughs> yeah there was no plan there wasn't like, legit the plan was we needed a really good scene, a big fight scene for episode seven, episode six, right. <laughs> which is, I guess, is OK. I mean, and it was it was fun. It was OK. It worked. 
there, there is a bit of a, a little bit at the end, so I might jump to that. Uh, so John makes it back to Eastwatch, and Danny has his wounds tended to. He offers his condolences to Danny and says he will bend the knee to her. They hold hands. Meanwhile, back at the lake, the Whites have dredged out Danny's fallen dragon, its eyes open, revealing a deathly blue iris. Dun, dun, dun. So is John going to bend the knee and do the Lord's kiss or what? <laughs> She's heard stories. She knows what he can do. Sorry. Someone has to he knows something. this show. Oh, he knows something. He knows yeah, something. He knows, he knows a thing or two. <laughs> Yeah. No, oh, I thought it was super cute that Davos was playing nurse for John and was just like peeling off his frozen um, skins. Mm-hmm. What I call them? His furs. I thought that was cute. I'm like, Davos, you're a legend. He needs to do something in the episode. Come on. <laughs> Besides know, like, pull, pull Gendry out of the snow. Yes. Davos is like the nursemaid at the moment, and I love Davos. And I'm like, man, you're the best. You're totally <laughs> being sidelined for these things. <laughs> The important question, though, do you think that Danny, when she was staring at him in bed there, that she was looking more at his wounds or at his hot body? Come on. His body. <laughs> no, I was like, she's totally coffee. checking him out. Like, she does not care that he's sick. She's just like, ooh, it's time. <laughs> I, I, I okay, like maybe the... he was dead, but <laughs> he's hot. Well, I, I did like the fact that she saw his wounds and... It's just you think about she's gone through all these all these incredible horrible experiences, but she's starting to realize that he's kind of been on his own journey too. He's got scars that that uh, he hasn't talked to anyone about, and maybe you know she wants to hear about them. And like a, a lot of a lot's been made about the lackluster chemistry between Danny and John, but I actually did kind of like this scene when they were yeah. holding hands and he calls her Danny. I thought that was kind of cute. And like, actually, obviously, like, I don't think it, I don't think it's particularly romantic, but there's just some kind of bond between them. Like we've both been through things. We both want to try and make the world a better place. I don't yeah, know. I aunt, aunt nephew seems... bond. <laughs> <laughs> a very, a very familiar I, bond. Yeah. <laughs> I think this scene was actually really well done. And I think it, mm-hmm. it might be the closest we've seen them because they both let their guards down in this scene. So we do get to see their softer sides and that they do sort of care for each other. But by the way, with Danny, I didn't think Danny was mourning her dragons at all before John arrived, by the way. I was like, shouldn't she be crying because she just lost one of her children? But she's just staring off into space thinking about John. I felt like she yeah. was thinking about her dragon, not her, not John. I thought she felt I, like John was lost. Yeah, I felt like she was thinking about John because it was staring off into space and then no, just a minute more. John's here because it wasn't like she was staring off looking at. Because do you think she was looking at Drogon or looking at the ground? Like that's she, that's <sighs> interesting. Like I feel like it could have been both. Like she was just waiting yeah. for someone to come back to her, and it happened to be John. But she was sort of in shock. Like yeah. she yeah. wasn't really. Yeah, but that is quite a I nice thought. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, I don't think she expected anyone to come back. I think she was just taking a moment, like, give me give me a little time to mourn here before I move on. Because I just lost my child, 
And I just lost yeah. this guy. I don't really know very well, but but I think it was more like she just lost her child. Would you, you know, if if you know, God forbid, you were ever in that horrible situation, you wouldn't necessarily want to leave either. You know, people, you know, like think of like at a funeral or whatever. You know, does does, mm. does mom want to leave now or like I need another minute with my kid? You know, and that's what I was thinking yeah. they were going. Yeah, yeah. It was sort of grieving, but also expecting. You know, he might have lived. He might have lived. If I leave now, it's like I'm betraying him or something. <laughs> but for I mean. Yeah. The dragon. The, the By the dragon. way, back back at the wall. Before we get to one other thing, there was one bit little character moment I caught, which is when Sandor says that he's going to go with them. You know, when when um he says goodbye to the other to Beric, and I was I would have figured he would have stayed there with Beric because that's where they were supposed to be. But I guess you know whatever they were there for is done. But what's interesting is that means that he's now on the boat heading back to Dragonstone. So does that mean we might be getting Clegane Bowl? <laughs> get get hype! It's happening. Get hype, or it's I mean, a rematch with I mean, Brienne. Because up, up until now, up until now, he wasn't anywhere near it. He's now heading straight to the mountain. Yep. So and to Cersei and everything as well. And like Cersei's gonna be pissed because he left during the Battle of the Blackwater. True. Like she's gonna be like, get the fuck out. <laughs> That'll be exciting. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of characters converging on one location. Uh, looks like John's going to be there. Yeah. Maybe, yeah, maybe Brienne. Everyone, we think, you know. But yeah. before we get to that, one thing I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, I was weird about was this whole little bit where the two of them, where where Danny and John are kind of like, I'm with you, you know. I mean, she says, yes, I will help you fight the Night King. But is that because she's with John or because I want revenge? He just killed my kid, you know. Yeah. And this is actually a danger to me, obviously. So we do need to have this fight. So, or was it because, oh, John, I care about you, whatever. And on and on the other hand, the exact opposite question is, why does John agree now? I'm going to bend the knee because she came in on a dragon and saved him. Or was it again Tormund's little quote about, you know, your pride and let's do what's right for our people and, you know, and all that. Like, okay. Question A: With watching it, I took it as being for my dragon sort of thing. And question B, I think it is a bit of Tormund's speech and as well a, you came back and you saved me and I know you'll do that for your people. Mm. And, and my people. whether that's why. Yeah, I think she believes, she obviously, John, she realizes John was telling the truth. This is a formidable threat beyond any sort of Westerosi army. But also, John realizes that she's the real deal, that she isn't just playing the Game of Thrones. She actually believes in protecting the realm and that she's lost one of her children to defend the North. And it's like, okay, I can kneel to you. You're worthy of um, the North's loyalty. You you have protected us. You are a queen. Yeah. Well, now that I think about it, another point is that earlier in that scene, she, she, he had apologized to her saying, you know, I'm so sorry this happened. You know, I would do anything to take it back you know, meaning the death, you know, this leading to the death of her dragon. And she, you know, instead of going, yes, I'm me too, she says, no, you know, I, this was necessary. This is what we had to do. And, and I'm okay with that, even though I lost my, my kids. So that that might be part of his reasoning there was, okay, she's, he, she will do what's best for the realm, even if it hurts her, maybe. It, it also sort of links with what the conversation with Tyrion about her not being able to have children, and essentially these dragons are her children. So this isn't mm-hmm. just losing some weapon or some animal. This is this is all she has. That's, that's Although John doesn't know. 
<laughs> yeah, but I mean, but I mean, from her perspective, she's feeling those things. This isn't just yeah. It's this is intense, but she's very um. She's yeah. She's very cold and detached, and she sort of has to be those things. So you don't necessarily see the emotion pour out. But I thought there was a vulnerability between them, which was nice, and a contrast yeah. to their first meeting when they're very sort of very separated, like visually, but also very um sort of yelling at each other and declaring things to each um, other. Whereas this is a much softer, yeah. more gentle. With, scene. with this scene this is the scene i think that i i see the most between them romantically mm. as well mm-hmm. so like with this scene if they said the next episode that they were going to get married to form an alliance or something like that i wouldn't be angry with it anymore. i thought they were, i thought they were going to do it in this scene like when he says yeah. i'm gonna like i'll i'll kneel the knee sorry i'll bend the knee to you I thought she was going to say, I have a better idea or something like that. Yeah, or when we got time she called for her Danny and then he was like, no, I won't call you that. I was like, so call her your wife. Yeah. <laughs> or like soon. my queen Too as in like being a married couple. I think what I loved about that is that's what the readers, no one else calls Daenerys Danny in the books or the show. It's only yeah. the readers, they call, call her that because we've been in, we have this sort of affection. We've been in her head, we've seen her journey, we treat her like a, someone we know. So like the fact that he used that word is sort of sweet. And it takes her back to sort of this childhood place where she was a little girl named Danny. She wasn't the breaker of chains, the mother of dragons, blah, blah, blah. She was just Danny, this little girl who dreamed of a house with a red door. I thought it was interesting that they chose to put that in this episode instead of keeping it till next episode, because usually these big battle episodes kind of end with the end of the battle. Unless you, you know, I mean, last year we had the big bit with um, where Sansa got her revenge. But other than that, usually the end of the episode is pretty much the battle, you know, is the end of the episode. So I thought it was interesting they chose to have that in here and I liked it and I thought it worked this season it's been nothing but battles so the structure's changed a bit we've had a lot of climaxes <laughs> yeah um and um, then uh the final shot um right the ice dragon waking up kind of a cool sting in the tail d- did that surprise anyone <laughs> at least um, of us um i was half expecting it the dragon to stay there and then come out like next episode or the season after and not being used by the white walkers and just being an ice dragon yeah it didn't occur to me while she was flying there but once it went into the river i'm like oh, okay that can be that can be a white now it can be resurrected oh, the moment she yeah. flew in the moment she flew in i'm like oh i know where we're going <laughs> <laughs> well i mean it had to be something otherwise there's no there's no real loss for this this expedition right. okay. but the other that's thing too it. is not I, I think that's what was so great about this was that not only did we have the game changer that the night king can take out a dragon but now the night king has a dragon he has his own you know nuclear option now which just changes the math completely i was a bit sad that we didn't see more of like the like white walker arsenal like i wanted to see like the spiders and the the, mm-hmm. the worms and i mean we got the bear which was nice but We've just yeah. seen nothing but whites. So it would have been cool to see, you know, now that we're ratcheting up the fantasy element, it would have been cool to see some of that. But I do have a soft spot for Ice Dragon, so I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Right. With with them turning the bear, I think that it will be very interesting in later episodes because up until this point, it they've only showed them turning humans. So this actually adds a whole new dimension to what they're fighting because it's anything that ever has died it's not just any humans that have died it's that dog that died that you didn't bother burning because you didn't think it would become a white is going to come and eat Mm -hmm. you 
Like, it's everything, which mm. is terrifying. You don't have a chance against that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's something you love turned against you. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that will be and intense for Danny. So where did the chains come from? <laughs> <laughs> They're made out of ice. That- <laughs> that was uh, Tyrion's chain that was supposed to be at the Battle of Blackwater. There we you know, go. Stole it. <laughs> Took it up north. It's like, oh, where's my chain? <laughs> now we know. You know. I mean, we've made a big deal in the books, at least, about how they can't create weapons. They have to just steal what they can. So they can't, you know, and in fact, even the um, the wildlings don't. So they didn't make chains. Someone, I read somewhere someone said that there was a close-up of a boat, that maybe that's where it was. But I don't know. I did. I even in my rewatch, I did not see any boats, so I don't think that's the case. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, any more to say on this episode, or should we wrap up? I, th- I think we've torn it apart enough. <laughs> I think so. Hopefully, we haven't been. I mean, we've been pretty snarky, but hopefully, people realize it comes from a place of love and wanting to, right? Wanting to really enjoy the series and being frustrated with some of their decisions. But ultimately, yeah, the spectacle mm-hmm. is awesome this season. I don't think anyone can can debate that. It's, yeah, the and budget we've, en- we've ended this on a more positive note. So, if they listen <laughs> to the end. <laughs> I still enjoyed it. I gave it a three point seven five. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm probably being and I'm probably being harsh on it. So. <laughs> I think if I just watched it for shits and giggles, or like wasn't paying a hundred percent attention to it, I'd enjoy it a lot more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I wanna like I I still hold it to a high standard. So I kind of mm-hmm. I've, I've loved the series like all most you know I've had problems in yeah. the past, but I've, I've pretty much enjoyed all the seasons. So I, I still I still hold out hope that it's uh, it's gonna end end as good as it started. Quick quick side note: Did you enjoy the battle with the um the loot train better or this battle better? Oh, the loot train way better. I agree. Yeah, actually, I, I agree. think the loot train was really really well done and amazing Great. to watch, and I at least felt like there was some danger with Bron. Mm-hmm. And we've had Bron around for so long, so. Agreed. Yeah. I thought so too. Yeah. And it was also part of this escalating conflict between Danny and Cersei. And Danny had had a few major losses. So most of the episodes had ended in Danny losing ground. And so to the, it, also, it was also exciting from that point of view to finally see Danny let loose and, and win a battle. Um, but just mm-hmm. the spectacle was incredible. And, and it was more grounded in sort of reality because it was knights facing Dothraki. And, but the dragon just added this, this uh, atomic element to the, to this, to the scenario. Whereas this episode was total, you know, fantasy. total fantasy, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that concludes Kraken Cast for this week. Next week is the final episode of the season. Can't believe Ooh. it's gone so quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, as usual, we'll be recording uh, Tuesday evenings Australia time. So let us know on the forum if you'd like to join us. You can catch the American episode reviews with the Dragon Cast and the European episode reviews with the Wolf Cast. So thank you for joining me, Sarah, uh, Bing, David, and Neil. I think that's everyone. Yep. Um, And thank you for listening. We'll catch you next time. Bye. 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 Bye.